Well, I was talking with Pastor Colin. I asked him if this morning I could continue to conclude the story I began the other evening. It was on Sunday evening, the 25th of January. We looked at uh, one of the signs in John's Gospel, and it was the healing of the blind man. And um, time didn't allow us to look at the full story. So I'm hoping this morning we can just conclude that. And hopefully some of the things I share will be a help and an encouragement to you. And many of you are praying for uh, a member of my wife's extended family called Daniel, uh, who was uh, in intensive care with the virus, etc. And I've great news. Uh, he's, he's, come, he's out of intensive care now. And um, which is great. His family would not be churchgoers by any means, but they've appreciated the thought that people have been praying. In fact, one of them said that he'd been praying even though he doesn't believe in God. So there we are. So thank you for your prayers. And hopefully um, we can pass on a message to Daniel from us all. So keep praying for one another. Important times. We're looking forward to when the lockdown is concluded and I'll be able to come down and be with you. But till then, we just pray God will continue to bless. So I'd like to just give a little bit of background to where we were when I finished the other evening. Uh, Jesus in chapter 9 heals a blind man. He spits on the ground. He makes some mud, puts it on the blind man's eyes and instructed him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which he did. And as a result of that, he received his sight. We noted, first of all, that Jesus could have healed him quite easily without having made the mud and the pool of Siloam. And we saw two truths there. First of all, sometimes Jesus expects us to do something in obedience. And also, Jesus was showing that the pool of Siloam, which was held as a very religious place, um, would be used in one of his miracles on the Sabbath day. And um, we basically left it there. The man came back from the pool. And we seen there was some discussion about who sinned, but we've dealt with that and um, we, we, we need to move on. We now find that this man who was healed, he had three encounters. He had an encounter with his neighbors and then he had an encounter with the Pharisees. That took two sessions. And then the best of all, he had an encounter with Jesus. Now, if you're not a Christian today, we, we, we've got to tell you, we would like you to have an encounter with Jesus. We would like you to find him as your Savior and as your Lord. And hopefully, as we look at this story, Jesus will become more and more attractive to you, and you will consider giving him your life. Well, let me begin to read. We're going to be reading from verse 8, his encounter with his neighbors. And it went, it went like this. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed it was. Others said, no, it looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. So this started with a bit of confusion. The confusion was, was he the same guy? Now, if you were used to seeing someone blind and begging and suddenly they're walking about with their eyesight, you're going to wonder, is it the same guy? And this was their question. Is this the man? Some claimed he was. Um, some claimed in verse 9, he only looks like the man. So there was some confusion. And then the man declared, ah, but he insisted, he himself, pardon me, insisted, I am the man. Now, you might think, well, why include that goal? That's not important, really. Well, it's important for this point. We had to verify that the man who was going to be taking part in the rest of the story was none other than the man who was healed. 
It was essential. This wasn't someone who looked like him. It wasn't his twin brother. This was the man. And he testifies to it, I am the man. Now, later on, particularly with the Pharisees, they were going to do their best to discredit him, somehow turn, uh, turn this fact out because they didn't like the idea that Jesus was going to heal someone. So his encounter with the neighbor started with confusion. Then he went on to curiosity. He said, how then are your eyes opened? And he said that a man they call Jesus did this. A man they call Jesus. Now, I notice this, they call Jesus. His encounter with this man, which is important, was very limited. He'd only heard Jesus say a few words. He'd never seen Jesus because Jesus withdrew from this scene soon after. Well, I think while the man was going to the pool, Jesus withdrew from the scene. So the next question is, a man called Jesus, he said, where is this man? And he said, I don't know. So, do you know, friends, sometimes God will do something in our lives and we don't see him. This man never saw Jesus, but he did what God's word was. And it's God's word for him was go and wash. And he was obedient and he went. Sometimes we look for something maybe a, a bit more spectacular. But sometimes all that needs to release God in our lives is that we do an act of obedience, something God has told us to do. An illustration would be if you have an unforgiving spirit towards someone, then really that needs to be looked at. That's something you don't need to pray about. God has told us to forgive people as we have been forgiven. So the man's healing was in his obedience to what Christ had said. And he said, I don't know. He didn't know where Jesus was because Jesus wasn't surrounded. Well, after this confusion, as I say, there was curiosity. Curiosity is not a bad thing. You know, we find in Exodus 3 and 3, Moses was curious about the burning bush and he turned aside. His curiosity made him investigate and investigating, he met with God at the burning bush. And, you know, it's good to be curious about spiritual things. Lots in my Christian life, um, in you know, in church life, things have happened, and I've been curious about them. You know, I thought, well, is that for me? Is that not for me? Where do I fit in? And sometimes curiosity makes us go a little further, and there, in that curiosity, we find God. Same with Scripture. Curious to know, well, what does that verse mean? How does it relate to other Scriptures? curiosity about scripture can open up a wealth of blessing for you well that was his first encounter was with his neighbors at first they were confused secondly they were curious but then they bring him to the uh, the pharisees in verse 13 it says they brought to the pharisees the man who had been blind okay so they brought him there for some verification or if for some spiritual checkout or some reference point I don't know. But they brought to the Pharisee the man who had been blind. The day in which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Now, very important that we realize this, because the Sabbath was something that was going to be used, had always been used towards Jesus when he was involved in healing. When the man at the pool of Bethesda stood up and carried his bed, the Pharisees wouldn't accept it because the man was carrying his bed on the Sabbath. And we have to watch this because when the rules and the regulations 
robbers of what God is doing, we've really got to look at it. Now, the Bible's full of rules and regulations. You know, thou shalt not kill. That's a Bible verse. Thou shalt not steal. There are non, lots of non-negotiables. Jesus is Lord is non-negotiable. Jesus rose from the dead is non-negotiable. And there are certain rules that we would live by as Christians. But at the same time, it's how we apply them. Do we add to them? How we interpret them? And that was the Pharisees' mistake. They really had made their mind up that the law was the important thing. Or if you'd asked them, were you looking forward to the Messiah coming? They'd have said yes. But unless the Messiah was a Pharisee, I don't think they'd have accepted him. So that's the situation. So they bring him to the Pharisees to get their opinion. And as I say, the day which Jesus did this was the Sabbath. I believe he did that deliberately. I said that in my previous study. I believe also he sent him to that pool, which was the pool by the temple, just to provoke the religious spirit in them. Jesus didn't avoid this confrontation. If they wanted to confront him, then he would match them. And in this healing, he goes out and he matches them. Well, it goes a little bit further in verse 15. The Pharisees asked him, how have you received your sight? Very simple. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed and now I see. Now, at that point, you think the Pharisees are started blowing trumpets and having a party. Oh, no, not these boys. They did. Oh, you can see, marvellous. If this happened in one of our services, well, we'd be jumping on the chairs. We might fall off them, but we'd jump on them. You know, we really would. But what do they say? This man is not of God because he does not keep the Sabbath. How awful, how embittered, how far so far from the grace and the mercy of God is that? That a man declares to you he's just been healed and you say the man who healed you is not from God. Now, that is where the spiritual warfare comes in. Because in that statement, this man is not from God. If ever there was anyone from God, it was the Lord Jesus. He was God's man, sent to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So although they were making a statement about the law, they were making a harder statement about Christ. And so within the story, we find that Christ's deity is to be established without doubt. What a way to live. That this, you know, no rejoicing, no, you know, we're really pleased for you. But, you know, we're struggling a little bit with the fact it was a Sunday or a Saturday in their case. We're, we're struggling. None of that. No generosity of spirit. Very simple. Anybody that heals the sick on a Sunday. So the law of the Sabbath was more important than the law of love and compassion and grace and healing. Lord, may we never get to that place. May we never get to that place. Others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. So some of them said, he can't be of God. Others said, well, he can't not be of God because of the miracle that he had performed. And it says there, and I love this verse, so they were divided. It's great when the Pharisees are divided. You see, because once you, once you get into law and regulations, nobody's going to agree. Our unity is our joint faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we may not agree on everything. In fact, I know we don't agree on everything, but that's not the point. The point is that whether we all agree on prophecy or whether we all agree on ecclesiology, 
no, no. The point is that we all agree on who Christ is and what he did. And out of that, we can have our discussions and we can have our flow because we're united, that we've been forgiven, we've been washed in the same precious blood of Christ, and we belong to one another. But the Pharisees, no way. Their unity was in rules and regulations. And if one of their number had failed, they'd have been on them, no doubt about it. Well, it says, finally, they turned to the blind man uh, and said, what have you to say about him um, who opened your eyes? Right. So some of them were saying he can't be a man of God because he did a work, he worked on the Sabbath. Others say, well, he, he must be because God does signs and this is a sign. So they decided, let's ask the man himself. And he makes this tremendous statement. This man soars in my estimation as the story continues. He replied, he is a prophet. Now, he didn't say he is the prophet because were, Israel were looking for the prophet. We know that from Deuteronomy 18 and verse 5. Also in John 1, the question is asked, are you the prophet? So I don't think he was saying that he believed Jesus was the Messiah at this point. I think what he was saying was, I believe he's a spiritual man, he's a prophet. There are many prophets about, you know. Um, John the Baptist was a prophet. And this evening, Pastor Colin is going to be teaching on Ezekiel. That's about a prophet. So he, I think he was saying that he is set apart and he's different. But he fell a little short of the whole revelation. I don't criticize him for that, because I think he's doing a cracking job so far. Okay, so the Jews did not believe he had been blind. That was the whole point. They didn't believe the man was blind. Why? Because if he had been blind, if, sorry, if he wasn't blind, he couldn't have been healed. If he wasn't healed, Jesus isn't a prophet. If Jesus isn't a prophet, they could persecute him. And so they said this, he is a prophet. Um, uh, you know, I wrote down here, there is none so blind as those that will not see. And there's none so deaf as those that will not hear. That's not scripture. Just to say, they had closed their minds. Because of their closed minds, they were going to miss out on an early revelation of who the Messiah was. Well, as I mentioned, they asked the question very simple. Uh, the Jews did not believe he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So our friend is ushered out of the room. Interrogation part one over. Okay, so he, they, he didn't come up with the answers they wanted. He left the room declaring Jesus was a prophet. They think, right, let's get the facts. If we can prove that this guy wasn't blind from birth, the problem goes away. So they bring the parents in. And we have this little conversation. It's quite interesting. They said to him, is this your son? They answered, we know he is our son. Very good. Um, you say he was blind. They say, uh, we know he was blind. Um, they said uh, he can now see. Um, who opened his eyes? They wanted to know what happened. They were saying that the miracle had taken place in that situation. We know he is our son. Uh, we know he can now see. Who opened his eyes? Uh, we don't know. So they knew he was their son. They knew he was blind from birth. They knew that he could now see. But when asked the question... Who was it that did this work? It says his parents did not answer and passed it back to the son because they were afraid of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, or pardon me, or, or the, the Pharisees at that time. 
So the parents came in and they were hoping that the parents would say, oh, no, no, he's not, no, no, that's just a, you know, a rumour. No, no, they, they concurred. But where they stopped was in declaring that Jesus had done this. And they did something that, well, quite sensible, really. They said, look, why don't you ask him? We've told you what we know. We know the facts. He's blind. Pardon me. He's our son. He was blind, and now he can see. They're the facts. Can't argue with them. But how or who performed this? Why don't you ask him? Now, I don't know what tells us there that they did this because they were frightened of being put out of the synagogue. Being put out of the synagogue was more serious than just being moving churches. It affected your social life, your employment possibly, a very serious matter. So they pulled back. And they said to him, ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Now, he was going to do just that. This man was outstanding in his courage. He clearly declared at the first interview what had happened. He dearly declared that the one who did it um, must be a prophet. Or they think of the prophets that healed, the Elijahs and the Elishas. But he had a biblical basis for calling Jesus a prophet because of the miracles in the Old Testament. But the Pharisees were not happy with this. So they invite the man in. It's his second interrogation. Things are getting hotter now. It's often a style of interrogation. Question somebody once, let them go away, come back, ask them the same questions again and see if they come up with the same answers. And in verse 24, we find a very interesting phrase. They say here, the second time they summoned the man who had been blind, and they said, give God the glory. Well, if ever there was a bunch of fathers that didn't want to give God the glory, it was this, these Pharisees. But that's, that's my opinion. I wonder if I was a bit Pharisaical then. Anyway, I'll have to check my heart out afterwards. But he says, give God the glory. Now, when I was preparing this, I, my brain went back to a previous study we shared in Joshua. And in fact, in Joshua, it tells us there, in Joshua 7 and 19, when Achan was being confronted about his sin, you remember he took the things and he hid them in his tent, the things of Jericho, and um, the judgment of God came on the nation. And when they were questioning Joshua, Moses, I think it was, said to him, give God the glory. In other words, Achan... Give God the glory and tell the truth. And I think they were doing the same thing with this man. They were saying to him, give God the glory. In other words, come on, tell the truth. You know it didn't really happen. You know that you were pretending to be blind or it was your twin brother. Come on, there must be some other explanation because we can't accept that Jesus is a prophet. How blind are those who will not see he says, give God the glory, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Well, hang on a minute. They're giving him the answer. They're telling him what he, they want him to say. Give God the glory. Now, tell us the truth. You know, tell us what you think. No, listen, you give God the glory and agree with us. Now, if that's not a mark of a Pharisee, I don't know what is. Do you know, we, we have to be very careful when we become dogmatic you know, I remember years ago, someone said to me, I'm never dogmatic because the Holy Spirit might change my mind on a subject. Well, it was a, a pass away comment. 
And, you know, I've held that lightly. I have very strong ideas. I've, uh, you know, I've been reading my Bible a while now. And I'm very comfortable with most of the things I believe and understand. But let me tell you now, I'm open to help. Now, please don't go ringing me up, you know, but uh, I'm open for fresh revelation. I'm seeing things in Scripture. I mean, I've never prepared anything on this portion before. And yet it has been, I, I, I sometimes wonder, I get more blessing out of preparing this than you do, do hearing it. But that's what God's word does. So they said, give God the glory. Pardon me, I've lost it there a minute. And we know this man is a sinner. They've made their mind up. How sad. Um, he replied, now, this fellow's got some bottle. I don't know if you use that phrase in, in London. Well, maybe he's got some nerve. He says that, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know is I was blind and now I see. Straight in. I don't know if this man is a sinner. Others will have to do. I'm not judging him. I'm going to say he's a sinner or he's anything at all. But what I am going to tell you is this. And one thing I know is that I can see. That would have been the answer to it. That QED, I think I heard that somewhere in school. QED, you know, end of the debate, conclusion, answer made. Listen, if he's a sinner, he's a sinner that can heal. And of course, they'd already said that sinners don't heal. So he was beginning to confuse them. They were beginning to lose their argument with them. Then they asked him, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? Okay, they're not giving up here. He said, I told you already, and you did not listen. Imagine saying that to the Pharisees. He's chosen, I've told you already. I mean, typical te interrogation technique. Ask the same question again, see if the stories match. And he turned around, he said, look, I've already told you. He said there, why? And you did not listen. In other words, it doesn't matter what I say. You're not listening. You've asked me to give God the glory. You've asked me to tell the truth. And then you tell me that he's a sinner. So you've already made your minds up. You've already decided. So look, let me just cut to the chase. I can now see. End of story. The power of that personal testimony. I can remember when I became a Christian, uh, one or two people said, oh, um, someone said, oh, Gordon's got religion. And then another person said, oh, he's seen the light. Too true, I saw the light. Too true, after years of worshipping myself, I realised I had to worship God. There we are. He said this, do you not, um, why do you want to hear it again? And then he, he provokes them. In an, um, I'll tell you what, he was a brave fella. He says, what, I have told you already, you did not listen, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Do you want to join the disciples? Are you asking me to repeat it because this is going to be a step of faith for you? Are you asking me to repeat it because you think it's so marvellous you'd like to hear it again so you can become a disciple? Well, that, that's like asking me if I want to become a Liverpool supporter, you know, or a Man United supporter. You know, it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And West Ham, I won't even go there. But anyway, the, the disciples, and with that, with that challenge, do you 
want to become a disciple of him. That challenge to move out of Judaism into Christianity, that move out of law into grace, move out of dark into light, that was a spiritual warfare that was taking place. Yeah. And when they were challenged with, his, do you want to be his disciples? Then their true heart and true nature came out. There was an ungodly response from them that showed their hearts. They didn't say, no, thank you for sharing with us, but at the moment we're not convinced. We don't think there's enough evidence. Uh, we're holding an inquiry. Uh, no, there was none of that. In fact, we're told that they hurled insults at him. You always know when you've won an argument when the other person starts insulting you. Now, I hope that with my ministerial colleagues, <laughs> we, can, we can agree to fall out, but we don't start hurling insults. Any insults that we might use would be maybe on a humorous level. No, no, they'd lost the argument. This simple man who, I don't know, hours earlier, maybe, had been a beggar, is now making a stand for truth that they couldn't handle. And it says there they hurled insults at him. Um, he said, you are this fellow's disciple. Well, maybe not yet, but he certainly was going to be. But that was their thing. If we make you a disciple of Jesus, we can put you out of the synagogue. So we're declaring the insult. I wonder what the insults were. Stupid beggar, who do you think you are? Well, who's bothered? Who's really bothered? And then they said, we are the disciples of Moses. Well, Moses had been dead a long while. He came up on the Mount of Transfiguration and um, testified to the Christ. Um, they weren't aware of that. Um, in fact, my memory doesn't help me whether it actually happened yet. But no, they went back to Moses. Why? Because Moses gave them the law. And they'd rather talk about how far you could walk on a Sunday, Saturday, Sabbath, than whether Jesus was the Messiah. I sometimes wonder whether legalists ever want the Messiah around. Legalists certainly don't want the Spirit, and my understanding is sometimes legalists only want certain parts of the Bible. But there we are. And again, was that pharisaical of me? Was I being a bit judgmental there? Hmm, time will tell, time will tell. So they insulted him. They said, yeah, you're a disciple. We are disciples of Moses. And they said something strange. They said, this fellow, we don't even know where he's from. To them, you know, was he of the tribe of Benjamin? Was he, you know, what was his pedigree? We don't know where he's from. Did he go to Oxford or Cambridge? Did he go to Elam Bible College? Did he go to London Bible College? You know, what, we don't know anything about him. What's this all about, you know? And that was part of their argument. We don't know who he is, you know, and they just poo-poo Jesus and put him on one side. And then it says simply there, they hurled insults at him, and we don't even know where he comes from. The man uh, said this, now that is remarkable, you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Right, he's agreeing with them. He doesn't listen to sinners, okay? Not so sure about that. New Testament, okay? He listens to the godly man who does his will. Oh, yes, yeah, all agreed. They were all godly men, right? So nobody has ever heard of him opening eyes of a man born blind. No, it's a new miracle. It's something spectacular. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Wow. 
They were the Pharisees. They were the experts in the law. And this guy turns around and says, the proof that Jesus isn't a sinner is because he performed this miracle of which I have been the recipient. And you know what the response was to that? It's always been the response of legalists. It says there, they, to this they replied, you are steeped in sin. Well, we are. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But to them, sin wasn't something of the heart. It was something of the actions. So as long as you kept the rules, you weren't a sinner. How ridiculous. But that's the way it is. When the rule book takes over from Scripture, you're in trouble. So they said, you were steeped in sin at birth. And here's the real crux of it. How dare you lecture us? Don't ever lose having a teachable spirit. The day you say, I know it all, don't lecture me, you're on, sh you're on sinking sand. I hope that we can be open. I hope we can hear other people, other people's ideas of Scripture. We don't always necessarily agree. I'm sure Pastor Colin many times listens to me and goes, oh, I don't agree with that. But he's gracious and he realizes that he can put matters right the next time he preaches. But that's not what it's about. We, 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 you know, we don't you know, talk about lecturing. I hope we can be taught by anyone at any time. Out of the mouths of babes, can, truth can come. But they shut their minds. Don't lecture us. We know it all. We're the Pharisees. You're steeped in sin. Jesus can't be a miracle worker because he doesn't fit our picture of who Messiah should be. Therefore, what's the answer? They threw him out. And that was the best place to be thrown out of, actually, their company. And the sooner he got out of his company, the better. I've been asked to leave a few places, but that's another story. Well, coming to the last encounter, and I'm watching the clock, uh, I shan't be much longer. It was his encounter with Jesus. In verse 35, we have his encounter with Jesus. Lovely verse, this. What a difference. It's like somebody put the light on. One minute we're in the darkness of insults, recrimination, judgmental spirit. We get to verse 35. Jesus heard they had thrown him out. Wow. And what does he do? When he found him. He went looking for him. He wasn't throwing him out. He was taking him in. And that's the difference between light and dark. That's the difference between law and grace. That's the difference between God and religion. One puts you out. The other takes you in. And Jesus has always got his arms open to take you in. Always got his arms open. They were open on the cross. And they're open now. And if you're feeling down and, you know, lockdown is affecting you, you want listen. His arms are open. He's looking for you. Be in no doubt. Okay, got to go on. He then comes into a conversation with him. He says to them, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, please, I'm sorry to repeat. I know if Lyndon is listening, he'll tell me off for this. I've got to repeat myself. Um, he had only heard certain words from Jesus. These are all the words. Now, if I've got this wrong... I'm prepared to accept it. As far as I'm aware, the only words he'd heard Jesus say was, go wash in the pool of Siloam. That's all. Okay? He didn't see him. That's all he heard. And so when he met Jesus, I don't think there was a, 
understanding of exactly what was happening. There was still that vagueness about identity, okay? So he says to him very simply, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man was a title for Messiah. Time won't explain for me to go into that a bit further, but it was a title of Messiah. So do you believe in the Messiah? Are you looking for the Messiah? I am. Yes. He said there in verse 36, who is he, sir? Tell me that I might believe in him. So his heart was open. Not only his eyes open, his heart was open. He left the company of men whose hearts were closed, whose minds were closed, whose spirit was barren and bitter. And he's now standing there saying, yeah, I'm looking for the Messiah. You tell me who he is and I'm going to go and believe in him. I'm, I want to. Not I don't want to. I want to. And then Jesus says these words. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you now. He is the one speaking to you. Wow. Maybe the voice that said, Put, go and wash, came back. I thought I'd heard that voice before. I thought I recognized those tones uh, in that way. And the response is unbelievable. It says there, Sir, tell me that I may believe in him. And he said, the one speaking with you is he. The man said, Lord, I believe. Now, he said he would do it, didn't he? He said, you tell me who the Messiah is and I will believe in him. And he said to the man, I am the Messiah. And he did exactly what he said he'd do. And that was simple. Lord, I believe. Not a prophet, but Lord, not a name or a, uh, a resurrected saint from the past. No, no, no. Lord, I believe. It was as simple as that. The Pharisees wouldn't believe no matter what you said. They made every effort not to believe. But this man believed. And almost as a proof that it was genuine, it says here, and he worshipped him. Jesus accepted the title Lord, and he accepted the worship, which made us understand completely that he indeed was the Messiah. He allowed him to call him Lord, and he allowed him to worship him. This man had come to faith. He'd come from darkness into light. Jesus declared several times, I am the light of the world. He proved it in healing the man's eyesight, he proved it in healing the man's spiritual sight when he discovered Jesus and worshipped him. One comment that I made. At the beginning of our studies the other week, we read the verse, verse 3 of chapter 9. But this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. They questioned him, why is this man blind? Okay, and we looked at that. I won't repeat myself. And Jesus said, this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And how the work of God was displayed in this man's life. Everywhere he went, he was the beggar that was healed, the beggar that could now see. Everywhere he went, he was known as a disciple of Jesus. What better display of the work of God than someone being healed, but more importantly, someone coming to faith in him.